Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 11 of season 6, The God Complex. The Doctor and the TARDIS once again take Amy and Rory to an unexpected location, and this time, it's a creepy 1980s hotel filled with nightmares. This episode is written by Toby Whithouse, directed by Nick Huron. It originally aired on the 17th of September 2011 and was watched by 5.2 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn. Hi, everyone. This is Kelsey. Hi, this is Frank. Hi, this is Brian. And that hotel is not 1980s, but we'll discuss later. And today we welcome a longtime friend of the show, but first time guest, John. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Hi, John. Good, good. So what uh, got you into Doctor Who, John? Oh, boy. Uh, So I guess my first uh, inkling of knowing what Doctor Who was is I worked at Barnes Noble with my co-host for my Doctor Who podcast, Podcastica. I worked with him at Barnes and Noble and he had a sonic screwdriver pen. And I said, what is that? And then he told me and I went, that sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, And then flash forward, I took a vacation with uh, my then girlfriend and her friend. They were watching the Tenet specials while I was watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I thought to myself, why are the why are they crying so much? Um, Then I looked it up and I decided to watch uh, season one in a day. Uh, and then that was pretty much we were off to the races after that that, that's cool because uh we met john at a couple uh gallifrey one conventions uh, ago like maybe two or three ago Hmm. and uh, we've been meeting to get together and things were going swimmingly that we were going to get together this year but then covid19 happened yeah so things got pushed back and this is finally when when it's going to happen yeah great to be here i'm very excited it's i think you gave me a choice of a couple of episodes i went god complex send lock me in a policewoman walks down the hall of a hotel peeking into various rooms in each one something strange is occurring a sad clown sits on a bed a man takes a photo with an old-timey camera a gorilla appears from the bathroom the policewoman lucy haywood jots down notes saying a person will know their room when they see it and that she is the last one left. Quite suddenly, she becomes blissfully happy, whispering, praise him, to an unseen deity. At the end of the hall, a growling creature appears and she stands waiting as it approaches her. I like how they um, camera angle, they don't reveal the monster. The monster is hidden by her leg. I thought that was clever. They, they save the reveal for when it's uh, impactful. They also did a great close-up of the practical effects of that prosthetic eye. I thought that was really well done. Right. I really liked, um, as she started saying, praise him, the the video and graphics effects of, like, we got words, but not just typewritten text, but also, like, kidnappers 
text, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is is that a Sherlock thing? I don't watch Sherlock, but is that related to that somehow? Like, it's kind of out of the style of Doctor Who, but is that connected to any other, like, British? In a way, not. I didn't get a Sherlock vibe from it, but I okay. can kind of see it being brought up, especially the earlier episodes. Yeah, I thought the editing was, I mean, I guess just as a whole was, was really cool how they added those elements. I believe Tim Porter was the editor on this, uh, and I... We'll get to it. There's a lot of weird editing things that they're doing, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was different. It uh, definitely made you feel uneasy. Yeah, throughout. I want to know <laughs> if people see the title as the God Complex, meaning the narcissistic self-importance, or is it the God Complex as in a building? Oh. <laughs> like an apartment building is a oh. complex, or right. is it the God Complex? <laughs> <laughs> It's just sort of, you know, when he has those different meanings that we've talked about, it's just sort of, the name of it just played in my mind and I just laughed. I like that you gave us three options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did himself this time. <laughs> the look of the hotel did throw me off. I didn't know what they were going for. It was a classic horror, I guess. The old fashioned hotel, but not shining. really the shining. The shiny. Yeah, I immediately thought of the- or 80s, But it seemed more, like an English 80s, because we it seemed like England was always behind us in certain areas. Like if, we'd have if, some this was style. The, if this was in the 80s, it hadn't been refurbished in a decade. Right. <laughs> I agree. But yeah, I, I also immediately thought of the Overlook Hotel with that like carpet, old carpet everywhere and uh, hallways. And the Muzak. Mm. And those long hallway shots. Yeah. In this beginning sequence, with Lucy, did anyone else um, get thrown off by the the repetition of the room 214? Or is it just me that looks no, too closely? I didn't see that. Because the first room she opens and goes into the, the clown, like that says 214. And then when she goes into the gorilla room, that one also says 214. And I think it was just, I'm pretty sure that the shot of her going in to see the gorilla was why they had that door opening shot, but I think they just played it earlier. Yeah, I mean, that gorilla was a little bit not good. <laughs> no, <laughs> no one was scared of that. <laughs> to me, that's a, that's a shining reference because there's that one shot of like somebody dressed up in a, an animal outfit in one of the rooms. So that's what I took from that, but I don't, I agree with you, Frank, that the costume wasn't great, but that reference from The Shining, that costume in there isn't great either. It's just like a creep factor. Also, it's a childhood fear, so it's not really meant to be a real gorilla. I mean, it could literally look like that and a little kid would be terrified of it. It just sort of set the tone that I don't think the rest of the episode really fulfilled by the time you're done with it. Because it had that creepiness, but also for kids. So it's like, okay, it's a gorilla, you get that. So you think it's going to be one thing, and it is for most of the episode, like the first two thirds, and then you find out the whole difference. And it just, I don't know, just after this opening, it didn't pay off the way I thought it would. I also can't help it now because of watching this show. Anytime I see a red balloon now, I automatically think Family of Blood is going to be referenced. 
and it's like, oh yeah, it has nothing. There's nothing. You don't, it, it's just a balloon. It's a clown. He will have a balloon. So the the other part that I I found uh, discongruous with the rest of the story, but just for the horror factor, was the scream at that last shot as the the creature or the camera rushes to the police officer Lucy. Like they put a scream in, but that's not the story. Like she mm-hmm. was yeah. even on her face, she was serene and I got it for the horrorness of it but I don't know it, it was just like on a second viewing you know right away what the, the 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 twist is so it does not make sense then but for a first viewing like watching it live on TV I'm sure it helped amp up the drama or this the frightening yeah the, the frighteningness of of that whole sequence but Rewatching and I'm like, there should be no scream. Agreed. Alburn, what you were saying about the door being the same door, now that we're talking about it, maybe that's the room she was supposed to go in. You know, like how sometimes the the, the hotel shifts. Mm. Yeah. No, and I really like that she was like this is what I liked on a second viewing. She was opening every door because she was the last one and ready to like meet her fate. So she's trying to find her room, um, right. which is you know sad, but also uh, it makes sense if you've been there for however many days and all of your comrades are gone. Yeah, still fun. I like the I like the police uniform, like the British police uniform is fun. And I don't get to see it often as an American watching TV. So, I mean, uh, it reminds me of like Torchwood and when we first met Amy, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm sure they had it. It's funny because like they're in a hotel and she's going to each room. At one point, I thought, could this be confused with a kissogram? Because she doesn't know which hotel room she's going to go into. I also like the writing of the letter, and I like how that's also another kind of mystery that is presented to us where at first it sounds kind of like a, I've been here, someone help me, and then it takes the turn. I really enjoy that, and it just kind of shows the state of mind that that character is in at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's also just a, a really good use of getting us getting us to want to watch more. For sure, yeah. The TARDIS arrives at the creepy hotel instead of the doctor's planned destination. Looking around, he explains to Amy and Rory that, though they're not on Earth, it's crafted to look like it. Just then, three newcomers burst in, Rita, Howie, and Gibbs. We tell the doctor they have no idea how they got to the hotel either, but that it's huge, ever-changing, and has no exit. Oh, and the rooms are filled with bad dreams. The doctor decides to do a diagnostic sweep in the TARDIS, but there's just one problem. It's missing. Do <laughs> um, you notice that the doctor calls Rory Beaky? Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, when they're looking down the hotel. When they first uh, get the in and stairway. Amy and Beaky. Yeah. That, I Amy didn't understand any of that conversation that was happening. And I didn't watch this with subtitles this time, so I'm. they're talking about tall hats. Like, what's going, what was, what? <laughs> I didn't catch any of that. Yeah, they were supposed to go to a planet where it's occupied by giants and the information booth is a hat. And the whole doctor, when he sees the TARDIS is gone, okay, we're not, this is bad. We're not anywhere near good. And he goes on to describe it in such a great way. And one thing I noticed was Amy not being excited about going somewhere. She doesn't like the normal. She goes, how can you be excited about just a hotel on Earth? It's like she wants, which to me, I know this episode wasn't meant for this season. And I think you might've talked, we'll talk about it later, Eugene, but I'm bringing it up now because it's gonna affect the way I kind of see it. In that we just had the girl who waited. So 
Amy's been through that. She knows about older Amy and what happened there and everything else that they've gone through. And this doesn't feel like connected to that because this was meant for the other season, season five, but they, they thought it was too close in tone to Time of Angels. And so they did Vampires and Venice instead on that season. So it's, it's a standalone episode. But with the way that they're doing this season, having the overall arc and the character development, it just didn't seem like Amy would be in that position at this point. And that just kind of threw me out. Going, what do you mean you don't like the ordinary anymore? You know things are going to happen. <laughs> just, it didn't seem like in the same place she was in previous episodes. It's funny that you say that, Frank, because I had a similar feeling, you know, about Rory again after, um, uh, so she was the one with the apartment girl building. The girl who waited. The girl who waited, yes. Um, you know, we're, we were back to Rory being a, a little bit out of character for what I'm, what I thought was Rory's character, but, um, the show is the, the canon, so he is more of a jerk than, than I'd like Rory to be. I didn't see him as a jerk. Yeah, you thought he was a jerk? Yeah, and this one wasn't as bad as the girl who waited, like the, the monsters are coming to get you, but it, it just it only oh, you because- you mean Night Terrors? Night Terrors, yes, Night Terrors. That, that's the one where Rory was like way out of character for what I want Rory to be. And so this one wasn't that bad, but only because I had seen that before on this one, like Rory being just a little bit, like less of the, the good natured nurse that I want him to be. Yeah, makes me makes me not like him as much. Uh, can we talk about the newcomers that they meet? Um, I really got a kick out of the doctor immediately, you know, honing in on Rita and being like, ooh, I like you, Amy, yeah. you're out. Rita, you're in. Yeah, and something similar happened when he met Martha, another like medical professional, mm -hmm. being more level-headed and calm in a otherwise unusual or alien situation. So that's what that reminded me of. And uh, again, it's a it's a woman of color. I was just gonna say with with the Martha, he Martha's friend. So he says to Martha, "Let's go and investigate." And then he turns to the friend and says, "Not you." And <laughs> so it's like I picked you because he says something about um, Howie, something like strange face or something like that. He's already dismissed Howie and uh, Gibbs, but he really likes Rita. She would have been great. I wish they would have not yeah. done what they did and kept her off. Come back to her like they did with Donna. Come back and bring her back. Oh. Now, because uh, this is the last episode of the Pawns ever, um, <laughs> were, right. yeah, were, that. were the BBC, like, were they anticipating a change of companions? Like, were the British public or were the American public, were we gearing up for them to leave at this point? I was just wondering if this was like a twist, you know, like, oh, this could be the new companion. Nope, we killed her, like, type of deal. I don't remember that at all. Okay. Yeah, because it was a long time before they finally do leave. Yeah. And I thought Matt Smith did really well with a lot of the humor, you know, talking to Amy. And when he said, uh, with regret, you're fired, that was from, I believe, the British Apprentice at the time that was on TV. Oh, okay. So, oh. That's fun. It was, so it would have been, you know, have a different level of jokes right there. But also, you know, when he's talking about the walls and it's a wall place, and then she says how it has bad things in the room, Rita says. And he goes, well, that just killed the mood. <laughs> I really, really, really like Matt Smith in this comic timing. He does it really well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you were saying we didn't know that um, Arthur Darville and uh, Karen Gillan were leaving until December of uh, 2011, and this aired in, I think, September. So mm -hmm. the public wasn't really uh, aware of it at the time of this airing. So the goodbye kind of seemed like, wait, what? What's happening? <laughs> Still does. Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> it still does. I didn't yes. remember that. But I remember last uh, last episode talking about how in The Girl Who Waited, we've kind of, the, the pawns seem to be at their character arc end. And this, you know, I, this the end scene would have worked if it was their last. Why wasn't it? You know, Moffat has a way of making you think companions are going away and then they just hang around too long. Uh, speaking of funny lines, when the, the the group that's been in the hotel meets up with our TARDIS team, Rory says, we're nice, as is like, don't hurt us, we're nice. And then Amy says, did you just say it's okay, we're nice? <laughs> that was a great fit and they don't really focus on it, but it's perfect it's wonderful yeah and then uh what's also back is the tweed jacket because we had the green long jacket last two episodes i think one more thing i wanted wanted to mention was the um seemingly employee of the month wall (laughs) which um now that i think about it a little more is insane But I I still think it's a fun, just a fun little bit. It adds to the creep factor. And I don't know, I just really love them going over all of them. And I also love that no one is safe from this place. Like we see warriors. Um, the Centauran. We see the Centauran. We see a bunch of, of uh, other monsters that we've come into contact with. So no one is safe from, from this place. And I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, that's another reason why I thought of The Shining is because of how that movie ends with the photo. And so this is very reminiscent of that. And one of the people on the wall is uh, Marcus Wilson, who's the producer of this season. Mm. At least it it looks like that's who that is, because uh, I looked it up and I couldn't find anything on the Internet that confirms that. But it's a very uh, good resemblance if it's not Marcus Wilson. I, I agree with John. I loved all the the white shirts and ties. I wish they had done that with the Centauran, like Photoshop <laughs> it in. That would have been so great to match. They did it with the um the the cat person. Mm, the cat nun, I think. Yeah, the cat nun. Like she had the shirt and tie and her white habit. Like it looked really good. And just seeing everybody, yeah, that that wall was great. Man, what a missed opportunity there. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. I wish we had seen more ways that people died or what their greatest fear is. You know, we saw like Gorilla, Sad Clown, and then wasn't there one that was like Chevrolet or something like that? Plymouth? Plymouth. Plymouth. Oh, I just got that that was a car. I was was lost too. And then last night I'm like, maybe it means the car. I don't Uh. know. We have, uh, I have the script up, I guess. I I don't know. (laughs) That we have Defeat having his uh, photo taken, Daleks, other people's socks, Balloons, (laughs) Saber Wolves, Plymouth, that brutal gorilla. That's awesome. Love it. Wow. (laughs) The the thing about the coat being back, that that makes me believe that this episode was in season five, but that's how it got moved. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rita takes the doctor to see their fourth person, Joe, who is tied up in a large room filled with ventriloquist dummies. Joe frantically tells the doctor that he's seen the light and that he has forgiven him for his blasphemous life. He adds that he will feast, but not until they're ready. They all come in raw and need to be cooked, so to speak. Joe tells the doctor they each have a special room in the hotel which they must find. The doctor quickly instructs everyone to do exactly the opposite and resist any temptation to peek. 
John, you have the script up there. Can you uh, remind me what Joe says? Where he's where are the lines? What does oh, he yeah. say? Let me let me pull it up here. G- gear to gee or something? Gear to gee. It? It's very, uh, and I mean, while I'm scanning the script here, uh, the the guy who plays Joe, I thought did a fantastic job. <laughs> yes. Um, Great makeup too. Yes. Makeup? <laughs> Prosthetics. Oh, there it is. Godly O'Gear. G-O-T-E-L-E O apostrophe G-E-E-R. That's how it is in the script. It might be for me too, because it reminded me of a movie I saw when I was a kid. Uh, my friend and his mother, his mother brought my friend and I to this movie to see a 1945 film called Dead of Night. And it was a British anthology. And this one guy wakes up, drives out to this cottage where everything's like playing out like he had a dream. This is all familiar to him, but he's never met these people before. They all tell scary stories. And one of those stories is of a ventriloquist dummy who comes to life and is battling his ventriloquist and bites his hand and all this kind of stuff. And it just terrified me as a kid, <laughs> it really did. So this one, when I saw the whole room and then they all turned their heads, it's like, okay, not me. This is my room, isn't it? <laughs> I would have to agree. I mean, uh, goosebumps, come on guys, Night of the Living Dummy. Right. This is this room is terrifying. Uh, I love that everyone's laughing and then stopping and turning their heads. Yeah. Yes. It's and I just love how this whole room is shot, how it's laid out. It looks great. I also looked up Goddle of Gear. I did as well. <laughs> I'm trying and is, to. And it's, it is go go ahead. It's a it's an imi- it's imitating a ventriloquist attempt at bottle of beer. A phrase traditionally supposed to be difficult for ventriloquists to say. So I think, yeah. So I think. (laughs) So Joe does that to prove that he's not, or the others aren't dummies. I guess that's what I'm taking from it. Like these are all there. They're not being controlled by me. That's cool. I like that. And uh, John, what you were talking about earlier, when it gets a little like creepy like the angles become slightly dutched and more dutched and then extreme close-ups on joe the dummies the doctor so it's really visually unsettling yeah i mean the whole episode from time to time is uh shot very unsettling to make you unsettled making rooms feel smaller than they are making rooms feel bigger than they are twisting turning it's great i really really enjoyed it so something to make this uh, this scene not so scary is that they had all these ventriloquist dummies manually operated. So they they took the script supervisor, the production manager, anybody who has who was free behind the camera to make the the heads move up and down like they're talking to each other and then slowly turn. So it was great that all these people had a hand in that uh, that scene. <laughs> And seeing the behind the scenes, it just is hysterical. Everyone just lying at weird angles underneath the table, trying to do two different heads at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> this whole section like really helped from the sound effects as well, like that chattering teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a little bit of that happening. And then I think the tape, the music comes back on during this. Like, so that whole, like the, the sounds of it will keep you seeing the heads, even in the wides, if you're still hearing just that yeah that creepy legion of of little things <laughs> coming at you 
the, the only thing that I can think of back to like the staging of that scene is that if they did, they shot that scene and matted it off in certain sections. So then they didn't do all the dummies turning their heads at once. They just did them in stages. So that's how you could also hide them. Mm-hmm. But the, there was a one long shot. You can see all the head together. But yeah, but, but, but that was all I, above table. But that's what I mean. Like you do, you do these in sections. You do one table, then you do another table, then you edit them together without like digitally removing. Yeah. I love. This is where we begin to learn a little bit more about Gibbous and how he's from a race of people who they've lasted so long as a civilization because they don't fight back. They're just very passive. And I loved it when he's, when he's one of the times he's running down a hallway talking to somebody and he's like, well, you know, it's because resistance is exhausting. I just thought that was fantastic. The motto, yes. Yeah, they did a really good job with the world building of that character because it is so ridiculous. You know, a race of people that love to be conquered and like plant trees along the lanes so that the marching armies have some shade to, to come in. But he, like, I, I don't know who the actor is, but he does play it very well. I mean, it's an easy character, like being so off type to play, you know, uh, with a, almost a wink to the camera. But um, yeah, no, he's he's really good. They did a good job writing that character out. Since you brought that up, I think they did a great job of writing the characters. In this episode, we have such a short period of time to know them, and they don't feel one-dimensional. They are all flushed out, and you can tell that life happened to them before this. This is how you write it, so you can get invested in them so quickly. The growl in the hall sends everyone scrambling into rooms for cover. Howie, Rita, and Gibbous accidentally find the ones meant for them. Gibbous's contains weeping angels, and at first, Amy thinks the room is meant for her. Meanwhile, in the hall, the unseen monster comes through Joe. The doctor tries to rescue him, but the hotel becomes an endless maze. By the time the doctor finds Joe, he's already dead. They all hide out and try to solve the puzzle, and the doctor theorizes that the monster feeds on fear. Then suddenly, Howie says, praise him, and begins to worship the monster, just like Joe did. Yeah, By the way, somebody needs to listen to Rory, because if a fire exit door is there, <laughs> at least try it. Oh, no one else could see it. No, I know, but... Right? But still, I don't know if they couldn't see it or they were preoccupied with with everything else that was because I don't think anybody actually looked that way. That's true. I think from what we know about the episode that how Rory is and how Rory's reacting to all this. Yeah, that was a way out. (laughs) So listen to Rory and try. Well, what really gets me on this part is that everyone's biggest fear is something subtle. It's not crazy. It's not a room full of spiders. It's not, you know, something that we always think of in horror films. It's being a failure to your parents is her worst fear for Rita, you know? And then Howie, who just got over stuttering, goes into a room of uh, women who mock him and stutter back to him, make fun of it. And it just, it it hurts. It hurts your heart going, oh my God, people can be so cruel. You know, another aspect of Rory's character is this also shows how Rory has changed from the wedding episode where he and Amy are at the door of the TARDIS waving goodbye to everybody and they're really, really excited. Now in this episode, Rory's just annoyed to be here. He's just over it. He's done. And you know, it, it, it's a it's a logical progression for the character, but then we still had a half a season with that. <laughs> and when they went into the Weeping Angels, that got me. I, that, that was the big bad, the big fear that I saw. It's like, that's what I was expecting all the rooms to have, something like that. And that was the one that got me. And I could just see it on Amy's face. Karen did great. <laughs> Don't blink. <laughs> 
And uh, you guys think that that was Gibbus's room? Yeah. I'm not sure, because we didn't get the praise him from Gibbous. They hinted at it, that it was his room. Yeah, they hinted at it because he, he, I think he knows about the Weeping Angels, but he doesn't know what their end game is. That's mm. kind of, So that's why when the doctor says, why are they not, they should have gotten us by now. It's because mm. the person who has the fear doesn't actually know what they're afraid of. Or that he's afraid because they do not conquer. They right. do not oppress the people. Oh, they just destroy. They make them go away. Oh, yeah. Or they send and he hid in the closet. You know, he knew they can't touch me. You know, so that's why I think it's, a, you know, supports that it's given mm-hmm. Gibbous his room. Also, it's the beginning of the setup that Gibbous is the bad guy. And to me, it gets a little annoying uh, when they're trying to really cast doubt on Gibbous's character because nothing comes of it. So well, he sets Howie free. Yeah, but he does it in a wrong thing to do. Yeah, he does it in a for him. There's no repercussion for him doing that. Yeah, maybe the doctor doesn't take him home. Well, the only reason why I I question whether that was his room is because he is like a bit of a villain in this. And later when he is talking to Amy about, well, if that wasn't your room, then your room is still out there. Like his little smile with that makes me think, well, it wasn't his room either. He's just letting people think that it was because, you know, that's part, that's just his nature of being uh, a little deceptive if he thinks it's going to help him. So I think it would be like a leftover, like, especially since they have that you know the walls of like uh employee of the month walls where it's all those things like the silver fox or and the daleks and defeat i think in my mind like those rooms are still filled with all those things that's why the hotel is so big but because of production we could only see sad clown and getting a photo taken uh, I liked when they were back in the, they, they went back into the, the dining room area. Or was that a new room altogether? When, when Rita makes tea and Amy talks to Gibbous. Is that a That's, new room or? It's the same room they have made a creepy, uh, yeah. <laughs> Bizarre oh, altar oh, with yeah, the yeah, kneeling yeah. dummies? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the bodies. Why would, why, why? It was just that, that is my fear, is that the doctor would come in and put kneeling ventriloquist dummies in front of my dead body. So bizarre. <laughs> and only half cover one of them. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the Gallifreyan way. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the but, dummies got there by themselves. Then knock them over, you know, just, or at least talk about it. I mean, it's just kind of like, hey, who moved the dummies into this weird position? And everyone's like, yeah. not me. <laughs> <laughs> he did kind of sonic the bodies and the dummies at the at one point but it doesn't work on wood i know what's the point? yeah <laughs> maybe he fixed it since he realized it was time to yeah uh the one one thing i do remember that uh i felt was out of character <laughs> for Rory. <laughs> that's hysterical <laughs> Rory's conversation with Howie, uh, when Howie has this conspiracy theory that it's Norway, and Rory, like, again, like, almost calls him, like, it's very dismissive, and it's very, like, you came up with a, a story crazier than the actual story, which reminds me of Night Terrors and that that kind of Rory. And maybe that is part of Rory's yeah. character now, but I don't like it. 
Yeah, I didn't get the, I didn't understand the joke that Rory makes when Amy, after she's just, I think it's after she gets done talking to Gibbous, which I thought was hilarious that Amy is trying to connect with someone, which is like what makes Amy different than other companions is she's not trying to like reach out and connect with all these new people that they meet. But here we see her doing it, but it's like the worst person in the group that she's like having this heart to heart. And then later you understand why she had to have that conversation. But so after she talks to Gibbous, she goes over to Rory and Rory thinks that she's going to hit him with her shoe. Like, well, because he that makes that comment. Me. Right, but like he he said it like she'd done that before. And I'm like, have we seen her hit him with her shoe? No, but it just sounds like a Amy and Rory dynamic that would have happened, you know. He says every time the doctor um gets pally with someone, I hate I have this overwhelming urge to notify their next of kin. And that's totally something Amy would throw a shoe at him for, you know, because she's gonna be like, Shut up, shut up because, you know, she has faith in the doctor. But he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but he's not but Rory's not wrong two moments of humor and levity in this uh, situation here is that when they're running from the growl amy's like is that imaginary are we just imagining that or is that real and the doctor goes it's imaginary right uh just in case let's run away <laughs> <laughs> i really enjoyed that that felt very in character and still funny and then when uh, joe gets taken or, or dies they they tried or yeah he gets taken before he dies and then they search for him the camera angles are very uh scooby doo-ish where they're running mm-hmm. in and out of in in and out of rooms and hallways and i was like that actually works in this for me and then when when the camera slightly dollies or pans to the right and then it's revealed that joe is right there I thought that was a clever filmmaking technique. Mm-hmm. And the, the cuff link is so prominent. Yeah. Yes. The look on Joe's face was terrifying almost in that the expressionless, it wasn't like he was dead. He was just totally empty and he was dead. But it wasn't like you usually see a dead body the way that it was slumped there. and It was just drained. It was just empty. That was an oddity, kind of like the Dutch angle, you know, in acting, I guess, in that this is not something you would normally think of if you were to find someone in the hallway. But also the doctor having to look at the Minotaur through the eye hole, it was like he couldn't stop himself. He needed to go and do that. And it brought back tooth and claw to me, the way that he was just enamored with this creature. And I like how they, they, they still waited to do the reveal. Like we saw it with the peephole, but we still saw a very distorted vision of it. Yeah. And Have Joe's- we seen the horn scraping across the ceiling yet? Oh. I really liked that moment. We've seen the evidence it of it. They set it up yeah. in an earlier scene where the doctor like ran his Very hand cool. across it, and then when you see the horn, you're like, <laughs> I, li- "I like it when I like it when like editors make me feel smart." <laughs> Like they, you know. Well, what's great about that scene is that it has payoff. Like you see the doctor notice it, but you don't know what it is yet. And then later on, you get the payoff and you find out, oh, that's what that is. Where I feel like sometimes in the episodes that we sort of nitpick, these payoffs aren't there. There's a setup, but no punchline, if you will. And they did that with uh, the dice cufflinks as well. They're doing that really well in this episode, you know, giving you a clue and then like within the confines of the episode paying it off and keeping it moving you're mm-hmm. right they did a good job again with the writing i didn't understand what joe was saying so i had to look it up you know here comes a candle to light you to bed here comes a chopper to chop off your head that is an old english nursery rhyme oranges and lemons i found what it was but i didn't find the meaning of why this was this is it. just poems or a motif on this season right. 
the the chop 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 though was worth it just for like I, I if if they had the idea for that line the chop 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 like um I would have had the poem just just for that moment of getting to for him to look at everyone and basically say they're coming for your head you know right Acting fast, the gang manages to trap the monster in a room. It tells the doctor they are in a prison and confesses he no longer wants to kill, but does so on instinct. It breaks loose then, crashing through glass and claims Howie's life. Amy, who is alone, is compelled to open the door to room seven, but doesn't reveal what she saw in the room. The doctor, who is also alone, is drawn toward room 11. He opens the door to the sound of a cloister bell and says, of course, who else? But what he sees remains a mystery. So these rooms that they go in is uh, seven for Amelia Pond being age seven when she met the doctor. And then, Mm. of course, 11. Thank you, I didn't know. And then, of course, 11 for 11th Doctor. And 11th episode. What? This is the 11th episode? Yes. I have one question though. If Joe's ropes can mysteriously untie themselves by themselves, why can't Howie's tape untape itself by themselves? I think they learned from the ropes and that's why Howie has like black electrical tape. So sticky. Yes. (laughs) The magic can't unknot the tape. It's like wood in a sonic. It's so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> what a great product placement. <laughs> Doesn't Gorilla have a line of tape as long as glue? Oh, so yeah. Gorilla tape. <laughs> gorilla tape is, it's very good. And now we know why she's so scared of the gorilla. Because she probably was taped up when she was a kid. There you are, with the gorilla tape. <laughs> There's a lot in this that I liked, going back to even the doctor talking to Gibbous about his um, aggressive cowardice, you know, and how that is, they've used that as a weapon. But these people aren't benevolent, these people aren't just cowardly and trying to survive, it's a survival mechanism, but they're, they've gotten so good at it that they made it into some kind of a weapon. And so that's when you see Gibbous being, you're not nice, you are more mean. And you wanna do like, well, let him have Howie, let him have Howie, we're all safe then. So it just sort of got me. And also when they're talking to Howie, um, when he's getting possessed again, and how everybody has a cognitive uh, distractions. So it's their thinking, their rationale that is stopping them from being taken over. And they just need to let it go and just believe. And to me, that's, well, I see a lot of things going on with different religions. You just believe the religion and you don't question it. You don't think about it. So I think that is... That is the uh, basis of a lot of this episode for me. I mean, we can go into it, I think, a little more. It's not any particular religion, but people fall back on that. And it, a lot of times it doesn't make cognitive sense with what they're saying. They'll believe part of the religion. They don't listen to the other part. It's just when you said that, that's when the whole thing switched for me in this episode. It is an interesting commentary on evangelism, you know, that uh, the idea of spreading a faith. In this context of this episode, you know, you have the Minotaur like you said, going and replacing people's faith with faith in it as a way for it to feed. But I, I would say like, if you're writing a any type of uh, creation about feeding on faith and replacing faith, and you have a Muslim character that, you know, is resigning herself to, to be in hell. Like, I, I think those things are on the surface, Frank. Like, I don't think they're like, you know, I think he means to, to make us discuss these things, yeah. 
And if you look at other faiths that no one really practices anymore, you know, the Roman and Greek gods, did they create that faith? You know, since they're saying there's only one true God and this is my God, whatever religion you are now, you're saying that they created those gods. So the idea of religion being created to combat fear is what this brings up. You know, it's just fear of, is the sun going to come up? Why is it dark? What's a storm like? Why is there fire? You know, all these fear and you create these gods of fire. You create the sun god who will come up and you have to appease him or whatever. It just really ties the two together. I just think this is could be a lot deeper of an episode if they had planned that that was the focus of it rather than a little more superficial of, oh, the doctor's thinking one thing, it turns out to be something else. You know, I don't think they really went into it. And I think it would have been a great discussion on it. I, I hate to relate it to our current time, but you know, we are living in it. But uh, I mean, another aspect is how close fear and faith are. You know, the doctor confused one for the other or not confused, but um, you know, they are both so tightly linked that you just turn a little knob one way and uh, fear, faith, it becomes like the, the line is very blurry. No, but it made me think of uh, the line in a Book of Mormon where John Smith, John Smith is saying, I'm going to die, God, before I get to show these people these golden plates. And they're just going to have to take my word for it on faith. And he goes, oh, that's kind of what you were going for. So <laughs> not, not, not that that correlates exactly to what you're talking about, Frank, but it made me think of that line specifically. See, Frank, I'm not the only one who thought Book of Mormon. <laughs> We got to talk about what we think was behind the doctor's door. Uh, we do find out. What? In this episode? Nope. Okay, well, I don't know what you're referencing, so I'm going to hypothesize uh, that it's the master because he says, who else? I was thinking it was the doctor. Yes. Yeah, Goodbye. I was thinking it was the dream lord. You know, episode of Amy's Choice, uh, who the Dream Lord is the negative side of the Doctor, his negative personality traits. I know what you're talking about, Eugene, <laughs> which I don't know. I don't see that that's the right answer. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one that they came up with afterwards to try and tie things together. I agree. Are you talking about the... Yes. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> that's what it's... Aww. Well, because <laughs> they go, there's a white light in his eye. I Like, I was reading the TARDIS Wikia earlier today, and I kind of rolled my eyes because, I mean, uh. sure... <laughs> I guess, but I think what he what he sees is what we see in the final scene is himself alone because he that is his biggest fear. I know um, he mistakes it for, you know, something faith fear, but to me that's always what I thought it was. It was him all alone by himself in the TARDIS. That's what I originally thought. Yeah. Which also reminds me of Turn Left. Donna warns him and stops him. It's, you're done. And then the whole Turn Left, she wasn't there. So he can go too far. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that reminded me of, too, is that the 10th Doctor had a moment where he's dealing with a crisis and he starts spouting off like there's a companion in the TARDIS console room with him. And then he looks up and he's this, he, he realizes he's alone or remembers he's alone. So I saw that oh, when, yeah. I origi when I originally saw this, I saw the 11th Doctor doing the same thing and then realizing he's alone in the TARDIS because the cloister bell is going on, which means there's an imminent threat. Right. The there's a track playing called I Remember You while they wait to trap the monster and, and Amy and Rita are in the room with the clown. It's weird that this is like a, like a, you should be quiet. 
It's kind of like hide and seek, don't make a noise, somebody will find you, or you don't want to be discovered. But the music is so triumphant. And then it this this particular track, then later on in it, it goes to the what we know as the 11th Doctor's theme. So it's funny that they, they decided to use that. I also thought that was a weird transition. Yes. And, you know, it's just like, wait, it was jarring for me. Why are you changing it now to the, oh, I see. It's five minutes since you've done it. You're contractually obligated to play that theme, you know. Uh, you mentioned the the sad clown room, and I did like the uh, part where Rita asks the sad clown, how's it going? <laughs> and then what does Amy say? Don't talk to the clown. <laughs> Well, it, it's, it's also before that they both look at each other and they're like, is this your room? And then when it's established it's neither the room, then they're like... It's only scary to you, it's not scary to others, because I would be fine in that room. Oh, yes, Mr. Courageous. How did you feel about the ventriloquist dummy shush, room? Shush, shush, shush. <laughs> um, what is Rory's fear? I mean, I know we don't get to see his room, but if he had a room... He doesn't. He doesn't. I very much identify with Rory in this episode because even when scary things are happening to me and my fears, I never once ever even think, oh God, get me out of this. Except maybe as a turn of phrase. I don't push I don't push back onto some outside force that's guiding or will save me. Um, so I'm very much like Rory in this one. And the doctor even says, you're not religious, you're not superstitious. So there is not a fear for Rory that would make him go, oh, some higher being saved me. He just wouldn't do that. Like, I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of the entire world. But never once do I say, oh, God, help me get through this. Now, once I get through it, just to hedge my bets, I will say thank you. But no. But you had come up with the, uh, reminding me of the saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Oh, yeah. That's the idea that if you're that terrified, that's when you find what religion you have. The thing that really clarified that for me is when I had my appendicitis and it mimicked a heart attack. Later. I I remember. Yeah. You were there. That's right. I was. Um never once prayed and i realized it later after everything was all said and done and everything was fine like but it wasn't it, it wasn't conscious it was just oh you know you know i remember having the heart attack and i might even have said it where i was like oh so it's finally happening i i was i said uh, i did the praying for both of us <laughs> well that's why i always text you going okay prayer because <laughs> coming from me god will be like go away <laughs> so you have faith in eugene <laughs> 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 and that, I think, shows a lot of Rory's growth and how he became into himself. So I think that was a great bit on Rory because the doctor has put them always in danger and always putting Amy in danger. And that pisses them off. Gets really angry at that. And we've seen that the whole series with Rory. It's like, you keep putting people in danger. People want to prove themselves to you. And so Rory has had it. And so he doesn't have faith that there is anything else that can protect people. Each time you go into a dangerous situation, it's a dangerous situation. Amy doesn't feel that way. She goes, I'm in a dangerous situation. The doctor's going to save me. I'll, I'll live through this. It's going to be fine. Yeah, this discussion made me think of uh, Nacho Libre in the Skeletos line. I believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> A man of science. The doctor, who has taken a great liking to Rita, says he'll show her time and space once they escape the hotel, but he doesn't know she's already started to worship in secret. Rita secludes herself to protect the doctor and allows herself to be claimed by the monster. The doctor is infuriated, smashing up the hotel. Knowing Rita was calm when she was killed, this theory about the monster feeding on fear is shot. He discerns that the monster must be feeding on people's faith, not fear. And they were brought to the hotel because of Amy's powerful faith in him. Just as the realization sets in, Amy 
Amy utters her first praise him. Well, as they're uh, heading down the stairs, Rita's having a bit of a of a heart to heart with the doctor. The doctor is just uh, getting ready for the next bit of adventure that he's planning out everything, and he knows what he's gonna do to save them, or at least he's gonna try to save them. And Rita asks him why, and this is where we get one of the meanings of the episode. Um, she says, "You have a real god complex, thinking that you have to go save everybody." And it is really interesting coming from Rita, who has the most faith out of the characters that that we see. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the author is definitely trying to make some statement or at least open questions about like uh, why we do the things we do and who we have faith in. But yeah, it was a really good example, I think, like uh, of the Donna-ness of Rita being able to confront the doctor when he is like kind of spouting some BS and just say, wait a minute, who are you to to try to save all of us? Yeah, I really, I really wanted Rita to make it till the end and then get invited to go with the Doctor and the TARDIS and go on adventures and then say no. It's funny because I had a different reaction in that, oh, she is good companion material. material. He's uh, lightening up to her. She's going to she's gonna die by the end of the episode. That's what I immediately thought mm -hmm. because we have uh, Astrid from uh, Voyage of the Dam and then we have Linda with a wife from the Bad Wolf, I believe. That's the episode with her. Yeah. As soon as that ended, that conversation with uh, Rita and the doctor, that ended. She turns to the camera and she says, praise him. And I was like, oh, there we go. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> We haven't really talked about the security camera footage, and I think that they also spliced that in uh, very well. Also, another kind of creep factor uh, to the whole element of our hotel. I really, I really enjoyed that, especially because they they give her the uh, the pregnant pause to fit, turn and face and find, and you go, oh no, right. here we are. And they use the same sound effect that they did in Time of Angels, if you noticed. That staticky clicking when it goes from different mm. angle to different angle. Nice. I did like when Rory was uh, reminiscing about Howie when he's looking at his picture and just saying that not all victories are about saving the universe. He overcame a stammer. Right. And I think that goes along with everything that we've been saying so far about Rory. He's done. And he had forgotten about that. It's not himself. It's like, I forgot. That's what I started with being a nurse and helping people. And he had to go through this, which I know is a difficult thing. And that is amazing. You know, going back to like the 10th Doctor, where just ordinary, even the ninth, ordinary is amazing. It's fun. And how Amy at this point is still no, I want extraordinary. I also like the doctor's reaction to the line, kind of like, all right, yeah, good job. <laughs> like, I, I approve of that. <laughs> they, they should have had a callback, like, am I still fired? Or he should have said, scratch that, you're not fired, you're rehired. You know, something like that. <laughs> I don't know, I think that's also, in my point of view, when the doctor saw that he's gone too far with these companions, there is a burnout. Especially after um, the girl who waited, because we just saw right. like a real possibility of Amy suffering if she continues with the doctor. I know this episode wasn't, he said it wasn't right. originally placed here, but I'm, uh, they probably reworked it a little bit, but yeah. Like he's, especially at the end of uh, the girl who waited when Amy asked, where is she? And that look from the doctor where, you know, we, I, I discussed it last episode, but you know, he's, he's making some decisions or calculating some things with the pawns. Um, and this episode we see kind of the, the end of that. Yeah. When 
when Rita um, is explaining to the doctor why she doesn't want the doctor to save her and stuff and she says a line about like um, let me be robbed of my faith and peace and in, like in as, and, oh in private yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. them to watch her yeah yeah like as someone who does have faith and I was like, oh, I, you know, I could like, I could understand that character now and what, like what she was going through in that moment. The Rita being, you know, rational and brave at the end on the phone call and knowing it was the doctor calling her showed so much about Rita, I just loved. And what was really sad to me was that she wasn't robbed of her faith that was replaced with a different one. They take the faith, they only want the faithful. So if she were able to still believe in her own faith, she would still be rational, she would still be brave, she would still be able to maybe outsmart the creature. But because they took her religion and distorted it and, and brought it over to now worship this being, you know, they just stole it from her, changed it. That's what really gets me going. Because she was so faithful and it got distorted, the actual faith got distorted. That's what gets her. That's what gives her up. And that's just so sad. Uh, levity. <laughs> <Not> for levity. <laughs> uh, Gibbs straight up ate that goldfish, or sorry, Gibbus straight up ate that goldfish. I did not understand that whole thing from when the doctor was in the beauty parlor uh, or spa and said, "Grab the goldfish, Amy." <laughs> and so it's so grabbing the goldfish, bring it along. Why were the goldfish even in this? I wanted to call back to like take Jim the goldfish. That would be Jim the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, after listening to our conversations, that this is a commentary on organized religion. You have Gibbous take the fish, which is a symbol of Christianity. And then during the entire time when Rita is taken by the creature, that's when Gibbous is eating the fish. So I don't know what it's uh, saying, but- And there are three fish. But yeah, why would the doctor say grab the fish only to have Gibbous eat it in the security cam footage? I think it is trying to say something. I'm not sure what exactly, because I just put it together as we were like diving deeper into the faith aspect that I think the, you know, at the time that we have our, our Muslim character uh, being taken by the creature, we have Gibbous eating the symbol of Christianity. Like, uh, I might have to watch that section again, see if there's anything else going on. And uh, the next scene, Gibbous is eating like nuts you know so oh i thought he was picking out the fish bones oh i i thought there was like because they're back in the bar area i thought it was like like bar nut that he was yeah picking i took it like that too Albert. yeah but but it's interesting because i know the hunger is all part of it because they haven't like gone in, they've been in this hotel but then rita was able to make tea and he found some some nuts and a, there's goldfish in the barber shop if you go over there yeah i don't know what the consumption because the nuts he wasn't into. Like the fish, you're like, ah, oh, you right. know, but the nuts, it seemed like he was taking very uh, gently. So I, again, I don't, I haven't analyzed it to say what they're saying, but it is uh, an odd juxtaposition for our show. Oh, uh, Amy's praise him was another great like double because uh, the doctor is talking about uh, Howie's story or reading. Oh, she's reading um, Lucy's, right? Lucy. The, the paper. Right. Oh. He's reading uh, the policewoman's memo. Yeah. And when he gets to the end, Amy says, praise him. And at first you're like, oh, Amy just remembers what the, the story said. But then like right. everybody realizes, no, that's the key word for Amy's in trouble. So now that you mentioned that scene where he's reading uh, the, the note, that's, this might just be a little pet peeve of mine, but I hate when 
they make me feel like I'm an idiot because I don't remember at the beginning of the episode that this woman wrote this. Uh, that is like one of my, I, like, I cannot stand that. I'm like, yeah, I remember what happened 30 minutes ago. <laughs> so I get that it was, you know, a, a fun way to do that scene, but I, we are, as an audience member, I already saw that. I don't need you to, it just makes me feel like you don't think I'm, I'm smart in this sci-fi romp. <laughs> Come on, I've, I've stuck with you and gone back and watched old stuff. I can, if I can watch a bunch of people jump over a rock quarry for 15 minutes, <laughs> then I can, I can remember what happened. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. The doctor in this also in this moment says like that Rory keeps being shown a way out. Like they, they he's like they keep showing Rory a way out. I only saw him see an exit sign once. Did I miss another time that Rory was shown a way out? I think that was editing. I don't think they you know cutting it down to the times of the story. I I do also feel like there was a scene missing where maybe Rory did see another way out and told the doctor because the doctor really shouldn't know that. Right. Yeah. Knowing Amy must lose her face to survive the monster, the doctor describes all the horrible things he's done to her since they met, telling her it's time to stop waiting. His plan works, weakening Amy's faith enough that the monster also weakens and drifts to a merciful death. The hotel facade dissipates, and the trio, plus Gibbous, take their leave. With heavy hearts, the doctor drops off Amy and Rory at their new townhome with their new sports car, his parting gift to them. After a heartfelt goodbye, he leaves in the TARDIS, saving Amy and Rory by leaving them to live out their lives. And they lived happily ever after. We've ever heard from them again. Yeah, nothing else <laughs> happened after this. Yeah. Doctor and Craig. <laughs> yeah. For two and a half seasons. But uh, <laughs> that line of uh, Rory, he's like, that's my favorite car. How do you know that's my favorite car? Because, you know, you showed me a picture once and said, that's my favorite car. I like, <laughs> the, I like the way the doctor makes fun of Rory's voice. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> I also like how Rory's, you know, Amy's going to say in a second that, no, this is too much and you shouldn't be giving us these presents. But it's really okay. And again, this is a good send off. Why not do that? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm pretty sure we all agree this is a good place to leave the Ponds or the Williams. Yeah. Seems like a good end to the story. Yeah, everything's yeah. wrapped up. They they survived. The doctor will go be sad and yeah. <laughs> but like the alternative, what actually happened, I think is worse than me being heartbroken for a week over some of my favorite characters. I, I haven't watched a lot of classic Who, but like from some of the episodes I've seen, it seems like they actually did this back then. Yeah, because because we did we did that with Tegan when she left at that episode. She was just like, it's too much for me. Bye. There was no big fanfare. Well, and even with Sarah Jane. Yeah, he was like, I got to make this call. You can't go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just kind of drops her. And even in the, he drops her in the wrong place. Yes. Um, you know, I only saw this the once, and when I started watching it again for the podcast, I had no memory of anything in this. Um, maybe the Minotaur, but that was about it. Um, so the pawns, you know, leaving at the end of the episode to me was like such a left turn 
because this can't be the end. We still don't know what happens with the doctor's death. You know, they're all wrapped up in the doctor's death. They're all wrapped up into River's storyline. So you're going to now make a connection between River and the ponds, and now they're just gone. But River might stop, you know, and it was just, it was too jarring for me. And at the time, you know, I really just did not like this episode um, because it was weird. It's like, I know there's going to be more. And now we know there's more. We all saw how that worked out. And I love seeing young Amelia again. I thought that was great to see her. I just like, yay, brought her back. I, and, you know, when I had no memory of it and they just pan over and it's it's just like, she was in it again. <laughs> <laughs> but that editing where they edited between Caitlin Blackwood and Karen Gillan, I thought was amazingly done. Yeah. And even, um, even the line there, when the doctor finally tells Amy to stop waiting, I think she says, Amy Williams, it's time to yes. stop waiting. So yeah. it's like the whole, the whole fantasy world that you were the Amy Pond, like, yeah, we're ending it. It's over. Back to the real world where Rory gets a sports car. <laughs> so did the doctor like make those? Did he like go play some lottery tickets? And <laughs> I need to see uh, the scene where the doctor signs the lease. <laughs> he's like uh to rory just keep making the payments it'll be yours in two years well when he went to sign his name it was the doctor bad penny, bad penny. who <laughs> <laughs> um i also uh i thought it was interesting that the minotaur creature was imprisoned in a holodeck that was the 1980s hotel. and i guess they they explained it by saying it got like a glitch so maybe it wasn't i mean i guess in in the episode it seemed like the hotel motif wasn't the glitch but just like the backup of creatures but maybe if it hadn't glitched it would have grown and like updated as the the decades updated but I thought those aliens who put them in there are just horrible aliens. It's like, go feed off other people. And it's like, that's cruel. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if it was built by a world that they had conquered or that was worshiping him, it, like that wouldn't have been cool. But if it was built by other aliens like him, then it would have been the punishment of making this creature live forever and all the other mortals that were feeding it just wouldn't even matter. All of this is funny because this episode is a great buildup in building atmosphere and mystery and intrigue. But then when it comes down to the third act or the, I guess, the fifth act, if you're whatever, the final act of uh, a screenplay, it, it goes by too quickly. Like there are so many questions. Why, why this? Why, why, uh, how does this work? How does a creature feed off of faith? And how does this room, you know, it's the Minotaur analogy with the Greek story. Like, this is the maze. The hotel is the maze. I get that. That's cool. I like that motif. But then I just need more. I want to know, like, don't rush this. This is the reveal of what this is. Like, give me something to chew on. Like, you've been giving me good bits throughout this whole episode. I think the the thing with we don't actually see how the, the Minotaur feeds off the fear is another kind of horror genre with Alfred Hitchcock where less is more and we don't actually see what happens but we know it happened and it's uh it's frightening yeah. so i mean if anything this they use so many we've talked about many different horror um tropes that they've used throughout this and i think that's just another another decision they made and i i too am like well how did he do that like where's where's my where's my CGI of how he did this? 
because the rope was so good. I need more CGI. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's just another, I think another horror aspect to this. And I, yeah, I liked it. Well, the part that I don't like be, is that the Minotaur's makeup and prosthetics look amazing. That's that they did a great job. They did. I wish that once the holodeck is revealed that the Minotaur was also a hologram because then it, to me that says that it's the glitch in this program of what these aliens have created and not necessarily this creature. For me, I need a little more connective tissue because the Minotaur is one that's like who there's nobody that does the Greek religion anymore, like that type of, you know, Zeus, Hera, Minotaurs. And then the hotel, it's like they're two different things that go together. That's that's my problem. When, I'm sure you did the research that Moffitt gets lost in hotels. Yes. They all look the same and all that. So he wanted a story about a hotel, but he didn't want it scary. So he thought about The Shining, you know, that type of hotel. And so the writer then took that and said, okay, so it's coming like a maze and the Minotaur just fits with it. And then they can extend the hallways, change the rooms and make it into a labyrinth. So, I mean, it just became that. It's like, this wasn't a conceptual story of this is what I want to tell. It was, these are the factors that you get. Now make a story out of those. But then, but then what you're saying makes me then agree with what John is saying, less is more. Don't give me this explanation expository scene at the end. Just let me like fill in the dots on my, my own because then that makes the monster more scary. So Moffat gets lost in hotels. Didn't you see McGallifrey? He was just all over the place. He couldn't find wherever he was just walking around. <laughs> There was a little bit of a foreshadowing, which I laughed at when the oh. doctor and Amy were talking you know, about leaving. It's like, why are you leaving? It's like, well, what should I do? Um, what should I be just standing over your grave? <laughs> it's just, oh, interesting. But <laughs> final shot. Uh, and the Minotaur telling him that he would welcome. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Frank. <laughs> no, I, I just, I need I have the quote. That. I looked it up in prep for this. <laughs> an ancient creature drenched in blood of the innocent, drifting in space through an endless shifting maze. For such a creature, death would be a gift. I wasn't talking about myself. <laughs> for, for me, said doctor, dies. And I, my reaction was rolling my eyes, going, "Really? Again? Stop it!" You know. And again, it's like, okay, we know Amy and Rory are not leaving the show. We know Matt Smith is not regenerating anytime soon. Why are you throwing in this "he will knock four times" sort of prophecy? You're gonna welcome death. It's like, well, it doesn't. I just threw up the horns because that's that's very metal. That's a very okay. metal line to go out on Minotaur. <laughs> It just yeah. didn't make sense to me either. I think because, you know, how Eugene and I said, it doesn't really make sense. It's like, no wonder he didn't know that was talking about him. What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's not, he doesn't think of it as drowning in bloodshed. Or well, he does, but <laughs> I'm sure he was like, well, I'm sure you're not talking about me because that happens just way too often. Uh, the switch thing, the track that plays while it's the end of the episode is Can I Come With You? So I found that funny that the doctor is parting ways with Amy and Rory, yet the track that is playing is called Can I Come With You? Hmm. Yeah, so Sarah Contrell plays Lucy Hayward, and she's the police woman in the beginning. Amara Karan plays Rita, and uh, she also plays Rita in the Darjeeling Limited, which is, I think, Arlene's favorite Wes Anderson movie. Uh, Dimitri Leonidas plays Howie Sprague. Daniel Peary plays Joe Buchanan. And he was uh, Major Charles Bryant in Downton Abbey Season 2. David Walliamson 
plays Gibbous, and he's been in Little Britain with Matt Lucas. And he was also a Sextus in Stardust, which is one of the brothers, you know, Septimus, uh, Quintus, all those guys. He's the one that's in the, when they're in like the afterlife, the ghost brothers, and they're all sitting on wherever they're sitting. He's the one that's all burnt. Mm. Spencer Wilding plays the Minotaur, and he has played Darth Vader in Rogue One, and he will be in future Doctor Who episodes. Dafid Emir plays the PE teacher. Rashid Karapiet plays Rita's father. As we mentioned, Caitlin Blackwood, she plays the young Amelia Pond. Roger Ennels plays the gorilla. Louise Bowen plays one of the Weeping Angels. And Damien Jeffrey plays the hotel clown. Yeah, I'm surprised the gorilla got great. <laughs> uh, some, some nods to uh, classic Who is that the doctor has made his companion lose faith in him previous to this. And I'm curious, uh, John, if you've seen The Curse of Fenric. Uh, we have watched The Curse of Fenric on uh, Podcastica. And as I say that statement, I can't remember if we actually have because we just hit our 200th episode and I'm not sure anymore. Uh, it's all good. I'll, I'll, I'll recap it. Let's see if you remember. It's uh, the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, and the companion Ace. And they go back to World War II. Oh. And, and there's the hemovores, which are like vampire-like creatures. Yeah. Because they're vampire-like. One of their barriers is faith. So if you have faith in like the cross or garlic or any silver, then that will work in combating these things. But what happens in a with Ace is that there's an ancient one that's in her so she, the the barrier is up because she believes in the doctor so to get the ancient one out of ace the doctor has to belittle her and re remove her faith in him i kind of like that better is that it served a story purpose mm -hmm. like to defeat the the villain as opposed to the god complex which was feeding on faith so to save them you have to remove this the food source and it and that I believe um, was sandwiched between Ghost Light and uh, Survival, which is the last, the last. of the. Uh, so I th and I think we were doing a lot more darker storytelling with Sylvester McCoy at that point. Yeah. Um, but you know, unfortunately, Survival was the last one, so we didn't really get to plan out that story. But yes, we did watch Curse of Fen. After I looked up a picture, I went, "Oh, yes." The <laughs> I think she isn't she in uh isn't she in like a lake at the end yes or yes. something yeah it's been a while <laughs> it's all good I, I just know you guys on podcast podcastica cover lots of classics so i figured yeah. you might have done this you know when the story needs it it's there like if, as long as it's serving the story for that episode faith is good but then if it you need something else all of a sudden faith is bad which every show does but i think because we get so invested in our characters when those things that happen just for the story we feel cheated because we love the characters and feel like well that's not what that character do like that's not what roy would do that's not what amy but right yeah and so roy I was safe because he didn't have the faith and the whole part of that scene is that the loss of faith is freedom you know, Amy is now free from her infatuation with the Doctor, from the Minotaur, free to move on. And it just seemed that's was just an oddity you know, that they definitely had the loss of your faces, but will free you. Heavy, I know. The gravity is a little different over here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's thinking about it. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing is that uh, Toby Whithouse previously wrote School Reunion, Vampires of Venice, this episode, and he will write some more in the future. And the director, Nick Curran, previously directed The Girl Who Waited, and he will do future episodes as well. So, The God Complex. Who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? Uh, I did not like it when I first saw it, so I'm not going to go for the new. <laughs> and I liked it watching it again because of the stuff I put onto it. But I'm going to say it's for a diehard because it just seems so different and you need to know Rory and Amy more to really get into it. It's great to have some discussions afterwards about it. It's got great writing. If you want it also in a class to show how to get a character interesting in such a short period of time and to give them depth, that's really great. The directing, the writing, the story itself just lies flat for me. And I don't think it would entice anybody to continue watching. So I'm going to put it into a diehard. Um, diehard, mainly because you need to have a background in a lot of the characters and themes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also for me, this 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 episode's just not for me. I think I'm going to go with a fan category just because I don't think it's like um, a diehard. Like, I know you you guys hate Love and Monsters, but I, I, I enjoy that. So, but uh, not say that this is only good for diehards because I think it has some, like, like uh, you said, the characters are really good. The acting's really good. I mean, the supporting characters are so great in it. It is a good show to watch. It's fun. Um, but yeah, I would not introduce anybody to this. I've never gone back to it as a casual viewer, but I don't, I don't think it's something that is inaccessible that would make me want to put in a diehard category. So I'm going to say fan. I have, I have no idea where to put it, but like halfway through the episode, I, I think you could put it good for everybody. But then with the ending of the pawns leaving, that's just kind of weird as an episode to introduce someone. So, yeah, I think it's just the ending for me, like, makes it not good for some of our categories. I just, I don't know. Because I do think it's a, it's a good episode, and if it wasn't for that ending, I would say it would be good for everybody to watch. Because the editing is cool, and the characters are really good, and the creature is, looks really cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know where to put it. Uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'll say fan, because I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I'm gonna say no, fan. I think the middle is about right, I think it's fan dot, or, or die hard, nothing below it, unless you're in a, um, a script writing class, or possibly, um, talking about the genre of horror in other platforms, and I think that's pretty much sums it up for me. <laughs> Can you can you give us uh, some insight of why when I gave you choices you're like God complex like you were right. I love this episode. <laughs> I really liked this episode. I remember the first time I saw it. I just really enjoyed how it was shot. I enjoyed the script. Um, there are some some things that are kind of like eh, like you were the monster all along, Doctor. <laughs> um, you know stuff like that. That's kind of like okay. And then he, here I got you a house and a car. Okay, bye. <laughs> So there's like, there's some stuff in there that I, I'm like, eh. But overall, I mean, I, li I liked all the characters. I liked the mystery of what was behind the 
the doctor's door and why Rory didn't have a door um, and why I kept showing him exits. There's a, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I really enjoyed about it. So when you gave me the options and I saw, I was like, oh God, complex, easy. That's easy for me. I'm glad we got you on this. <laughs> and plus I, uh, I do love the 11th doctor. I do love Matt Smith. That's the first doctor I traveled with in real time. So, uh, I mean, everything else I binged and then it was like Matt Smith travel with in real time. So I think that might be another reason why I enjoy this whole thing. This whole I know it's not I know it's not I know Eleventh Doctor with with uh, Moffat and all this stuff is not a lot of people's favorites, and I get it, but I don't know. I just really like Matt Smith because he re- reminds me a lot of um, of Patrick Troughton. Yes, they're like up there. Those are two of my two of my guys. We're watching war games for, uh, <laughs> for uh, yeah, we're doing it we're, for our 200th episode. We're like, let's do it. We're, we're splitting them up, though, because that's a long one. Yeah. The God Complex has a lot of things that I do like, like I uh, was mentioned, like the horror stuff. I enjoyed that atmosphere, uneasy feeling building up to it. But I feel that the end does not is not a it's not a great payoff with like the happy ending of Amy and Rory. It feels like you could lift that out of this episode and maybe have a stronger episode because it doesn't fit with how the op- the cold open tonally is. It just feels very odd. And I do agree with Frank that we, what I like about the God Complex is that we get to know tertiary characters like Lightspeed. It's just amazing how we get to empathize and sympathize with these characters where in A Good Man Goes to War, we didn't with a bunch of the clerics that were spotlighted. It is worth looking at writing-wise how the God Complex was able to accomplish something that A Good Man Goes to War wasn't. Yeah, this is, this is a tough one, but I think I'm just going to have to put it into a fan category, and that is because of the things you need to know about Amy and Rory mainly, because no, a casual viewer and a new viewer, we're basically saying a fake goodbye to our characters. And it feels this ending, again, really weighs heavily on me in classifying this episode because it feels like we're giving a, a tight hug goodbye to, to our friends, but then we walk to the parking lot together to our cars. It's like, we already said goodbye, <laughs> but we're still gonna continue. That is perfect. Wow. Is great. <laughs> Did you come up with that or is that from something? No, I came up with that because I'm like, why don't I like this ending? That is perfect. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's great. So yeah, uh, this episode is complex. <laughs> <laughs> So John, thanks again for joining us. Uh, would you like to tell our listeners where to find you? Oh boy, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jpthrice. Uh, notlg.com is my podcasting network. Uh, like I mentioned before, Podcastica, my Doctor Who review podcast. We just hit episode 200. It's still weird to say, um, but we're in the middle of reviewing the war games right now. Um, and uh, that's pretty much all for me. Well, congratulations. Can you spell? Thank you. Hmm? It's uh, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-C-A. And uh, just for you guys, coming up with a podcast name for Doctor Who is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Uh, what we did is when we first wanted to come up with a name for it, I was trying to find like, I was going to like Gallifrey college stuff. I was trying to find like way back stuff. I'm like, no one would have ever thought of that. Um, they did. So um, the original, what we were going to do the podcastica opens like the Pandorica and then we just kind of podcastica boom. And then we just moved on from there. Nice. Very cool. Oh, wow. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. You have a great thumbnail for your podcast. Oh, thank you. Nice fez. The, uh, the, me and, uh, Taylor and the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Subscribe. Hey. <laughs> Here we go. You weren't? <laughs> Don, who comes up with your titles? Is it you? They're funny. Yeah. The or, the, the or titles? Yeah. That's all Taylor. That's all my co-host. Or we lost a hundred shovels. Or it comes up in the episode and then he'll jot it down and we'll but he yeah, he is um he is taken over because I uh, got way too busy with stuff, so he start he does all the editing, all the um synopsis, all that other stuff. He does all that stuff now. Nice. To took it off my plate, but yeah, he he comes up with all the or titles. Yes, the hundred shovels was. Yeah, yeah that's great. What a lie! <laughs> we didn't even talk about the Nimon. We hmm? didn't. The Nimon. The Nimon was the cousin of this creature. Oh. And it was the fourth Doctor, and well, in TV, it was the fourth Doctor, and then they did an audio of it, I think, with the eighth. So I was like, I thought we were going to bring that up as a tie-in to some of the classic Who. <laughs> Oh, I haven't watched. I haven't watched the horns of the mom yet. All right, guys, this was Have fun. Have a good day. Uh... Have a good rest of your weekend. I'll talk you to too. you. Bye. 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 See y'all. So that wraps up the God Complex. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. Yeah, that's a great sign-off. I like that. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at albertbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who New Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. Restroom break. Well, all right. <laughs> I'm a pro at this. I'm a- <laughs> you got the the bedpan or the colostomy bag <laughs> right, oh, right next to you.